Thank you for tuning your hearts in for another episode of the Hearts Rise Up podcast. I'm Carol Chapman, your host, along with my co-hosts, Ann Sari and Conchetta Antonelli. We share our own personal experiences, tips, and strategies, along with powerful stories and compelling insights from guest interviews. We're here to inspire and empower your conscious evolution, help you tap into your inner wisdom and rise to your heart-centered higher self. Together, we can rise to a higher level of consciousness, an elevated state of being, and experience more love, joy, and freedom. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for joining us again for another episode of the Hearts Rise Up podcast as we explore inner wisdom gained through self-discovery, expanded awareness, and living our best heart-centered life. I'm Carol Chapman, your host, and I'm delighted to introduce our featured guest today, Ophelia Rigo. Ophelia is a second-generation ancestral gift of spiritual insight and intuition. She brings together years of certified professional counseling skills, leadership, life coaching, yoga, meditation, metaphysical mastery, and business-building acuity to create highly exceptional client experiences like no other for professional women. She also supports leaders, organizations, and community groups by creating brave spaces that empower their people to have uncomfortable conversations on inclusion, mental health stigma, and how to promote a sense of belonging. Clients engage her because of her empathy, compassion, and commitment to encouraging the heart. Ophelia knows firsthand what it is to lose hopes and dreams and experience the horror of loss and betrayal. She also knows what it is to rebuild and come back resilient and wiser than ever. She is a self-proclaimed scarfaholic who enjoys spending time with her niece, and she is also a radical self-care practitioner. Ophelia, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. <laughs> As I was listening to that introduction, I was for a second who is that person? <laughs> well, you have such an interesting, eclectic background and a variety of skills, obviously, to navigate in today's world. I wish I had as many of those skills. I'm really looking forward to exploring deeper into what you're doing today and also the story behind it. I was wondering if perhaps we could start with your upbringing. I know one thing in particular that you didn't necessarily grow up in a traditional household. You had a variety of non-traditional or spiritual disciplines in your upbringing. So I think it'd be helpful to just understand a little bit more about your upbringing. That'd be great because my upbringing and my mom is a foundation that almost every time I speak of her or I think back of who I am today, that's a big portion. So I grew up in Trinidad. It's a Caribbean island. 
just off the coast of Venezuela. And I spent first six years of my life there with the cousins all around. My understanding of kin, which is very similar to a lot of other black communities, was that kin is kin and not necessarily blood related. So I grew up with a grandmother who remarried and it wasn't until I got into my teens that I realized that this man that I called my grandfather was my step-grandfather because then I met my biological grandfather. So I grew up around a lot of cousins, around a lot of aunties, and they were all my cousins or my aunts or, you know, they were all family. And then when my biological father died, my mom and I, we immigrated to Canada. And to me, that was foreign. I was six years old. And it was foreign because of the weather. <laughs> oh, yes, I can imagine. Yeah. So I remember this to this day. I came, and for people who are from Canada will understand, Montreal winters are very different than anywhere else. And, and people who are Canadian, or you just know, right? And I came here to Canada December the 26th. So the middle of winter. Just after Christmas, you're with our family and Caribbean families, you know, you're in the warmth. And I remember feeling the cold at the airport and I was too short to look over. There's this big barrier in the middle of the door, like a big wooden barrier. And I couldn't look over, but I had to look under to see outside. And I looked at it and I was thinking to myself, what is that? My concept of snow was a snow globe. When my, you know, when anybody would travel and they bring a snow globe back to us and I felt the cold and that was the beginning. I realized as I look back of a morning, one of my second grief experience, because my first would be when my father died. But the one that I remember is that as I look back, because I now was grieving my culture, the warmth of being in a Caribbean island and the deep connection with kin. Mm. I was with my mom as I look back and my mom and I talked about, I was angry at her for bringing me away from that because now I was only with her. I didn't have my beloved grandmother to run away from my mom and because my grandmother was my safety place, right? She was the one that, and that has, you know, if my mom didn't want me to do anything and want, and I didn't want to do it, I would run to my grandmother's house. It was all in this safe kind of compound where I could run from my aunt's house. If I was in trouble, I would go to the other aunt's house. And then if they didn't, you know, one of my aunt had nine children, my other aunt had one and all my other aunties. And I would run to my grandmother's house and she would open the door. And <laughs> and as she opened the door and it was, I would run through the door at the bottom because it was one of those doors where you had a top and a bottom that they could open. So she had the top locked and she would open the bottom so I could run in and she would hide me there from my mom. And my mom would be outside. So one daughter is yelling at the mom, give me back my child, you know, like she needs to go whatever, go shower or go take a nap. And I'm there on my grandmother's table and I'm complaining with her. And I realized I didn't have that when I was in Canada. I had no place to escape. <laughs> that was a very big part of my upbringing. It sounds like family was so important. You lost a lot of things that were familiar to you. What was the reason for immigrating to Canada? Before I was born, my mom loved to travel, and she was the last child of two, three girls. And as I said, her 
first, and this is just stories that I've heard. So she immigrated to, she worked in Venezuela. She was a nanny. And so she was a nanny in like the States. And her last place of being a nanny was in Canada, in Montreal. So when my father died, and I believe it was their plan to immigrate to Canada anyways. And I say that because he had a passport picture that I found. And that was just what my mom told me, that that was her plan. She never really wanted settled in the United States. Canada was the place that she liked. And I think in talking to her and in being a grief a counselor, when a profound, when somebody dies and you love them so much, I think my mom wanted to get away from it all. Mm. And for her, I, you know, I won't feel this pain so much. I'm going to go away. So about a year later, she packed up her child. She got sponsored. She wanted to have an opportunity for a better life for both of us. My mom did not have high school education, Mm. very intelligent woman, just at the time that she was born and some of the restrictions at that time due to colonialism, she, my grandmother couldn't afford to send her to school, but my mom ran a daycare when she was in Trinidad and she came here, always loved working with children, came here, she was a nanny and faith was always part of my life. I grew up in a typical traditional Anglican home. My mom, when she worked, I was really lucky in the sense, and I look back and I think about it, the uniqueness about my experience is that my mom always said, God is God. That's what she always would say. That was one of her saying, God is God. It doesn't matter how people pray. When I was young, I was surrounded by friends of my mom that were of different faiths. She had a very good friend that was from Trinidad, but their practice, they were Hindi. Mm. I grew up around seeing all of that, like when they got married and their ceremonies. Mm -hmm. And in Trinidad, my mom was aware of that because uh, Hinduism, Catholicism, and Islam are all part of the communities. So it's not that it's once better than the next. So my mom was aware of it, fully aware that she believes in Christ, but that was just something that she felt comfortable enough not to say, oh, that's bad, right? And I grew up, we had neighbors that were different face of being Christian. And then my mother was searching. She had a friend who became a Buddhist. She thought that that was the path for her. And I remember going to a Buddhist temple for about a year or so. And before my mom died, I was telling her about this. She goes, I never did. I was never Buddhist. I didn't go. I don't know where you got that from. I said, and where did I learn Nam Meho Renge Ko? I said, I didn't learn that in Sunday school. And she looked at me and she, I said, yeah, we, we like to edit our memory, right? <laughs> exactly. I know. So I said, where did I learn that? That it's still in my brain today. I, she had a friend that was from United Church and Unity. So as I look back, the foundation was always Christianity, but in different forms. My father's family was Catholic, is Catholic, many of them. And I was very close to his first cousin. She was like an aunt to me and she lived in Montreal. So when we moved from Montreal to Toronto, my mom and I kept very close with this aunt. And when she would come, I would go to the Catholic church and she taught me. And I, you know, just absorbing, I learned a lot about the saints and 
as my mom's found her space and her faith was the spiritual Baptist faith. And this happened just her also having visions and dreams and just going to the Anglican faith was not helping her to understand that. Mm -hmm. Probably now around 11, 12, my mom had baptized and in this faith, you sort of, I guess, would be the same thing as a sponsor. So she had a spiritual mother as an elder. And really, that's how it started. And that compounded with just that openness with my mom and being in the spiritual Baptist faith really was the foundation to begin my own spiritual journey and awakening. So were there some defining moments? You know, that was your, probably your first experience at six of really having to experience grief and loss because, you know, you were coming into something totally unfamiliar. But you did have this blend of spiritual traditions that kind of were a constant in your life and were evolving as you got older. But there were some other moments in your life where you've had some challenges that you've had to really kind of dig deep into your own strength and inner wisdom. Can you share uh, some of those and, and what you went through and how you got through them? For sure. I would say the the deepest, first deepest wound that I know that was a challenge for me was, you know, like many women, when you get married, you have this whole idea that you're going to get married. And, and I always tell people, no one gets married to get divorced. That's not what you intend. I got married later in life. I was almost 35. It was never on my bucket list to get married. I thought if I met the right person, that that's when it's going to happen. And it did. About three years into the marriage, suddenly my world fell apart. We integrated a blended family. He had three sons. My sister was about eight years old. And, you know, I was more like an aunt, you know, next mom for her. And things were, to my eyes, was going well. And this rug was pulled out from underneath me. And my world fell apart because shame came involved in it because didn't have the foundation with a lot of some people, didn't want us to get married and like Romeo and Juliet. And I felt that we conquered that. And all those painful memory thoughts came back to my mind. My God, I have to tell this to the world that's happening. And at that point, we were so intertwined spiritually. We had a business together. We worked at home. So for the three years that I was married, we were only away 10 days from each other. So even though it was a short marriage, it was a long marriage. And when that happened, the greatest challenge was that my, and that I began my spiritual journey with this man. He was part of being a spiritual teacher to me. We were friends. And so a lot of that, it was this fear mm. and a desperation of this is who I am. And now you're, you're taking this away from me. And I remember that there was a switch in my brain because I felt that what you're telling me doesn't make sense because I was highly intuitive, like, and still am. And our business, we were doing spiritual coaching. So, but I was heightened. I felt within my heart and soul that this is wrong. Like we can move through whatever issues that you're seeing that I haven't seen. It's not that big. And it was very disappointing that he chose not to want to move through it. And literally, 
I remember this scene today that I was in a beautiful house. We had worked in three years, made all this money. And I had my dream house. I had my dream office where I could look through the backyard and, you know, see the, the kids playing and, you know, all that. And as I'm there, he's sitting in the chair and I'm there and I'm speaking to him and literally begging, like, let's work at this. And I know any woman that has gone through this with a partner, with a husband, even with a child that you don't want this relationship to break because you know your heart's going to just pull apart. And I remember him just agreeing with me and wanting, and he too, I could see the battle looking back. And he stood up and he said to me, I'm the best thing that's ever happened to you. And you will never get a, another man like me. And in that moment, as I look back, there was a switch in my head. And I said, if you are the best after all we've been through, then I don't want another man. And in that moment, as I walked away. Wow, that's heart wrenching. That is heart wrenching because I thought, you know, and it took me a long time because I believed that he was the best and I didn't deserve anybody better. Why I said that is. It's a combination of my Trinidadian spirit, my mom's attitude, and just something inside of me at that point where I thought, I am not going to let you make me feel like I'm crap. And that was the beginning. My mom was what held me together and a best friend at that time. And as I look back, if I didn't have her, I don't think I would have gone through that moment. And then my mom died a year later. That was when I still had the scaffolding. I still was able to have that knowledge of how I got through the pain to help to get through the pain. Mm -hmm. And the other challenge that I had is within my family, there was a deep betrayal from people, that kin that I thought they would never betray me. And the pain was so woundful to me that I didn't have that support group that you know is your kin that gets you because when we grieve, it's also cultural. It's like someone who speaks French and they're searching for an English word, but it just doesn't have the flavor. It just doesn't come out the right way. It's the same way as when we grieve culturally. There are missing elements that when you don't have your kin and now that you have to explain. And what I went through was a total withdrawal from anything that had to do with family because I didn't trust anybody. It's not that my whole family betrayed me and I had an argument with everyone. It was a couple of people, but I felt so betrayed because they were in my inner circle. And what that really looks like is that it was the same thing that sort of happened with my ex. And as I needed to work through that, I had to go with the foundation that I had and what was that was prayer it was my spiritual journey that I had already had my awakening when I was married, but now I had to do it alone. I didn't have that support system. And that was the beginning of me looking a little bit more into Reiki and energy healing and getting more into my yoga. And it was a journey of self-discovery and self-healing, but also it was how I started to work with people and women on a deeper level because there are people out there that are hurting and not having the knowledge because we don't teach our people how to heal or how to find a pathway to heal. We just 
say this grief has happened and maybe we go to a counselor, we talk about it. But when we have a pain, it goes deep within our sinews of our body and it's transforming us. My divorce transformed me from being a child woman to being a woman. And my mother's death transformed me from being a woman to being the matriarch of the family. Mm. So those, my aha moments was, I remember this distinctly. I had broken my ankles after my mom died, probably a year or two. And I was trying to just keep it all together and really not going deep within the pain because my, you know, I needed to take care of everybody. I didn't want my dad to really feel that he lost his wife. So it was, now we were, um, we purchased a house and we were, you know, living together. So I was trying to be my mom, you know, all the rituals that she did, like the cooking on Sundays and all those things. And I was trying to not let my sister miss her mom because she was only 12 when she died. But I was so angry and just enraged because I had all this responsibility and I felt that I had to put my life on hold, my relationships on hold. My life was going in a different direction. You know, I was going to be like um, Mary Tyler Moore and throw up my hat in the middle of the street because I'd healed from my divorce and then my mom died. And I was angry that she died and left me, you know, to be responsible, to be the head of the family, and take care of dad and take care of this, my sister. I was just generally pissed. And I went into, when I broke my ankle and I was sitting there after with, in my area, my meditation room. And I got up to go get something and I fell on the floor. And as I fell on the floor, I couldn't get up. There was nobody else in the house. As I fell on the floor, I started to weep because I was going to the bathroom and I couldn't get up to go to the bathroom to go pee. And here I am and I'm crying and sometimes laughing and thinking, oh my God, I'm an adult. What the hell? And it was total surrender to realizing that grief and the pain that I was feeling wasn't only about my mom's death. Mm. That was the needle or the little piece of hay that tipped everything over. I was now grieving the death of my father because I was only four. I didn't understand it. Grieving the death of my grandmother, my beloved grandmother. I was 16 and really didn't process it. Leaving Trinidad, not having that as a child. All those little griefs that we do not process, your first loved who, you know, you can be with, you know, little betrayals that you had in high school, um, broken heart, a marriage, the ending of the relationship with his kids, you know, the dream of being, Mm. having a white picket fence and a house and all the plans that we made. And then the death of my mom and all those things were happening now and it wasn't because of my mom, my mom wasn't there anymore to help me through. I had to find a way through it or I would die. And there were times that I thought it's just easier to just take myself out of this world. I had suicide ideations and it was just not a really good place because I also had the image where a lot of women to the world, I was successful. I was still doing my business, confident, but at 3 a.m. in the morning, I fell apart. So constantly doing that, we're going to break. Nobody can do that forever because we'll self-soothe and we'll keep doing it. But every night that you go to bed and then you make wrong decisions and then what happens, the tipping point is that the anger can no longer stay at night. It comes out in the day somehow. And for me, it was starting overeating again 
It was yelling at my dad. It was just being horrible. And that was when I broke my ankle because I wasn't paying attention. I was so angry. But spiritually, when we break something, we break a limb, it's about us not wanting to move forward. And I couldn't move forward with that anger. So that was one of my greatest aha moments. Right. You can't move forward with a weight. You know, it's sort of like in order to explore in a ship, we have to lift up our anchor. And a ship cannot go anywhere if it's anchored. So we are ships and we explore and we learn. We anchor on a port because we need to refuel. So there comes a time where you refuel, but you still have to go to explore. And we have to, I learned I needed to explore these emotions. And I started to explore these emotions. And we go back with our foundation. So my foundation was spiritual, was remembering how my mom grieved when her mother died, my grandmother. Remember when she had disappointments in relationships, when there was a call that her nephew died. I looked at what my mom did, betrayal in her friendship that she had and what she did. And her first instinct was prayer. Mm. Her first things would be, you know, to light a candle, to do a ritual that she knew. And I went that, and then I added what I had known. I was, I was a Reiki master. I knew about, and I added that and I explored and I did research. And then I went to become a grief counselor and all those layers are what helped me. And then I started coming a coach. I changed the way that I coach people and it was to help people to move through grief and loss at the beginning was working with individuals and helping them to do it and providing them the, the foundation that I didn't have, but I wanted to help them to go through this with more ease and a little bit more understanding and awareness because why we struggle with any problems that we have is because we don't have the knowledge of how to get through it or even the knowledge of what the problem is. And many of these people, these clients that I work with or when I talked and did presentations, when I would say this, it would profoundly change their life. And I said, grief is the price we pay for love and a profound grief. We will never get over it. We will get through it. I'm always amazed and honored and humbled when I see people saying, thank you for saying that. Because if you have not experienced a deep loss, you will not resonate with those statements because the outside world is telling you to get over it. It's time to move on. It's been long. They're in a better place. That's what they're saying because they haven't experienced it. And maybe they need to say that because the person who is the griever who is in pain is triggering them. Could be a sister, could be a spouse. And they're, they're exhausted from seeing that person being so sad. Mm. Right. And that person is exhausted in being sad, but they don't know how to stop being sad because their brain is telling them that you, your child is not coming back. Your heart's saying, but I want them back. The world's saying you need to get over it. And when they are in this brave space, and I call it a brave space, it's a brave, safe space. It's brave because you can talk about your feelings but you're going to feel uncomfortable. Right. And even though that's uncomfortable, it resonates for them because that's the difference with grief. Grief is a transformative experience. It's emotional response to a loss. Mm -hmm. And you're responding to the loss because you have loved this being. 
You had a physical relationship with them. Right. Just because they died, the love didn't go anywhere. You were learning what to do with all that love. And the world saying, oh, things will just, you know, you'll just get on with it. Go on. And what's telling somebody, you're not going to get over You're not going to get over it. You're going to get through it. They're like, oh, so I can still love them because they still want the bond with that person. They want to learn how to still have that bond, even though that physical person is not there. And that's the beginning of healing. When you hear that and you're like, yes, I want to bring meaning into my life. My life is never going to be the same, but how can I bring meaning? And a, a universal example, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers, that's how it started. These mothers lost a child because of a drunk driver and they formed mad Mothers Against Drunk Drivers because they wanted to put meaning for their children's death. That's like a big global way but in small ways for people how we get through grief is time honesty recognizing grief understanding how grief works universally and how it it presents itself individually with you and finding meaning and finding a way to belong and finding a way to open the heart and knowing that that wound will always be there it will always be tender but you can work through it and the best way i can describe that visually is that if somebody has a favorite silk scarf or a silk skirt and you walk by and you saved all the money for this beautiful outfit and it pulls on a nail and you're like, you're heartbroken because it has a rip. And what do we do? We pull that silk together to smooth out the rip. The rip was the grief. Right. We don't want to throw out the silk scarf. And the silk scarf is now the memories and the love. So we smooth it out. And that's the smoothing out is the process of healing. Mm -hmm. But when we look at that scarf, it'll it's never the same. We can still see it's still a little fray, but we can still use it. It can still look beautiful. And that's where you have meaning. Mm -hmm. We always will have that memory. And I always will miss my mom. But how I missed her and how I feel about it is different 12 years later. Well, I was going to say, there's some key points here that, that you mentioned uh, around dealing with grief and managing through grief. Time is one, honesty, recognizing what is happening, finding meaning, and then you use the silk scarf analogy of smoothing things out. What tips would you give someone in terms of like three or four things that they, to, to actually do exactly what I just summarized. What tips or strategies would you give them? The first thought is really focus on what I just said about grief is the price we pay for love and we won't get through it and we'll get over it. And let that resonate your, with your soul. That's one. And that will really help with the beginning of understanding. The other one is when you are in a good space, Allow yourself to what I call create a wellness or a grief healing kit. It can be something simple and it's important to do it when you're having a good moment or a good day and you're going to put things inside of it that you can reach. And I literally have a basket. I, you may have a scarf, you may have a, a picture of your loved one, but it's your comfort items, maybe an essential oil. And you create that. So when the hard moments hit, you don't have the mind to start looking for it. And you're training your brain. So, okay, I'm having a bad moment, but I'm going to sit in this chair because you've already planned it. And the items are right there that you can use. And it is in the sitting 
that now you become your witness to what you're feeling. And when you sit, and this is what I share with people and I teach them, when you sit, it's not for understanding or for any outcome, it's for the sitting. Because you are now witnessing. For many people, they don't want to sit with their grief because they feel if I start to cry, I'm never going to stop. So in that basket, have a timer. I learned this from a counselor and I share this with people. We want, our brain is freaking out that I'm going to be crying forever and ever. Having that timer allows you to say you're still in control because grief takes away your power. And it has been successful for everyone that, I, that has utilized it when they take my course. Because as they sit, they have the timer, they start with 15 minutes and they know. So it's called scheduling your grief healing time. Mm-hmm. And for many people, it's late at night. So knowing when your triggers happen, and for a lot of people who grief, it's when they're alone or when their everyday activities and routine stops. You put the kids to bed, you know, and even if you have a partner, you're alone, you're still alone. And that's the time that if you start training yourself and as you commit, because we heal through a commitment, through healing, but having a person there with you that maybe has gone through through a group or a coach and that's why people work with me that can be that support person to get you through so as you're smoothing out you're not doing it alone and if you don't have someone check to see if there's a support online a faith group so you have someone that is going to be empathetic but not critical to help you through and those are the things that i would recommend I think those are some great tips, and certainly they come from someone such as yourself that have had numerous uh, clients that you've worked with, and and also it it just comes through your personal experience. I want to shift gears here just a little bit because you have recognized your gifts and found your path, and I know it's not been a direct, it's been a a number of twists and a, a windy path, no doubt. And I think it is for, for many of us. But what advice would you have for others? You mentioned that you always had a strong intuitive ability. So I'm, yes. I would imagine that really helped you. But what advice would you have for others to recognize their gifts and find their path? The first thing is that I would say, if you are asking that question, what is my gift? Then most likely you are not doing your gift if you're not doing something that brings you joy. So for instance, let's say you're working, you're, you're a manager at a bank and you have this question because our soul and our being is telling us messages every day. And then sometimes we don't listen to it. How that can show is not always about a visual message. It can be, you realize I take longer to wake up in the morning. I'm feeling sad. I'm having some pain. Work is frustrating. I'm tired. Those are signals to you that something is off. And if you're asking yourself, you know, and you might not use the word gift, I'm just not happy, or is there more to life? I can't believe my this is all there is. It's the beginning of questioning. So switch that question around, I would I tell people. Have a journal. If you're not into writing, maybe you're into recording, maybe you're into art. And the question can be, what am I meant to do? And if it's too big to think, what am I meant to do for the the world, like for the rest of your life, how about what am I meant to do for today? 
write the answer down. But we have to trust it. And you might get something silly like go for a walk. You go for a walk. And it's in layers that you will eventually find out what your gift is. And once again, is if you can anyway find that trusted mentor who've gone through that path that can help you. But it's questioning what is your gift that will give you the answer. And finding ways to still your mind really helps. So it's if you're into meditation or mindfulness, going for a walk, going for a swim, doing yoga, whatever works for you. But having little moments of stillness while you ask that question. Because once you ask a question of the universe, of your God, your gods, your goddesses, they will answer back. I love that. Uh, what am I meant to do? And then if you can't answer, if that's too big and broad, taking it down to what am I meant to do today? It's all about taking the opportunity to explore that question within you and explore the, the opportunities that you have within that particular day to listen to your heart and to focus on some things that give you joy or that fuel your passion or that you just want to sit with and be with because it feels good. I think that's just wonderful advice. You know, as we kind of get to a point here to wrap things up, are there any other pieces of advice that you would offer for others who want to explore deeper within themselves and push through that to come out on the other side for whatever it might be, whether it's grief or finding your passion, what additional advice might you have? I would say also too, like when we don't live a life where joy is, or we're not living a purposeful or passionate life or doing our purpose or passion, that in itself is grief because that's a soul grief. We don't feel that sense of joy. What I would suggest is continue to question and don't worry what other people are saying that you should do, but also don't compare what you, the answers that you get for your purpose with anybody else. Because a lot of times people think their purpose has to be what my purpose is, or, you know, not everybody's going to purpose is to be Oprah Winfrey, for example. And I'm going to share a quick story. I work with a client and that was what it was. And how we find our purpose is by stilling the mind in some way. So find some way to still the rational thoughts. And that's because your purpose is spiritual. So we need to still that brain. So when I work with this person and we work years and they thought that my purpose needs to be this. And what it boiled down to is that her purpose was for prayer and meditation. And when we went through the sessions and that came to me through an intuitive message, she cried because that's what she loves to do. And I said, so you love to pray. You love being on your own. And that was her purpose. It doesn't have to be that I'm going to open a business. I'm going to make a million dollars. I'm going to build a school. It can simply be my purpose is to be the best grandmother, to be the best aunt to have this garden so my the neighborhoods can love it when they walk by. Everyone's purpose, if they find it and do it, is authentic, but it's the fabric that makes this world a better place. So the one of the things, don't compare your purpose with someone else. Once you find it and you feel joy, stick with it. I love that. That is 
absolutely beautiful and I think just right spot on because so many of people in the world compare themselves to you know so many external influences and seek advice outside of themselves and it's so easy to compare yourself and to feel like you have to compete when the best thing to do is to be true to yourself, be authentic to yourself, because when you're authentic and true to yourself, that's where you're going to excel. That's where you're going to be the happiest and find the, the most joy. Coming to this earth is not a competition. That's not what we're here to do. We're here to just learn and grow and explore and evolve in ways that make sense for us and what is needed for our spiritual growth. Exactly. Well, this has been uh, such a terrific conversation, Ophelia. I would love for you to share where others can find out more about you and connect with you. The best place for them to reach out to me is my website. And from there, they can learn all what I'm up to. And that's at Ophelia O-P-H-E-L-I-A, and then my last name, R-I-G-A-U-L-T.com. Great. And we'll be sure to put that in the show notes. And if you have any other links that you'd like to share, we're happy to do that in our show notes. I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show today and just sharing your experience, your word of wisdom, and just wonderful advice to others who have maybe been through some similar kinds of situations or maybe faced with those situations or have others in their lives that they need to help as well. And I think probably the best thing for all of us is to just really be sure that we tap into our heart when it comes to finding path for ourselves and how we move forward in life. Because there's always going to be these trials and tribulations and things that we're going to have to to get through, all these rocky paths and some great times that we're going to experience. Any other parting comments before we close down? No, I, I am so thrilled to have this opportunity. And what I want to tell people, if you experience grief, take good care of yourself. And I hope your day gets better. And if, it, if it's not going too well, I hope it gets a little bit better and just take it one bit at a time. Great advice. Thanks so much, Ophelia, for being with us. And to all of you listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. Please be sure to check out our website, heartsriseup.com. We have a variety of resources on our site, and we also have a new community on Mighty Networks called Hearts Rise Up, if you're interested. And we'll put some information in the show notes so that we can point you to the website and to our community. Until next time, we hope you have a wonderful day, and bye for now. We hope today's show helped to bring a bit more joy and happiness into your heart. We hope it inspired you to unleash your inner power and rise up to your best and loving heart-centered highest self. We'd be grateful if you'd leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews are important to spreading this valuable message. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and share the show with others. Visit heartsriseup.com for heart-centered courses, guided meditations, and our popular notes from your higher self. Until next time, keep rising up and may all that you love thrive.